Welcome to Meanwhile at the Museum, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes with the people, stories, and shenanigans that make Cincinnati Museum Center what it is. I'm Cody Hefner, and today today's special because normally we feel his presence, but we don't get to hear him on the podcast. He's usually on the ones and twos, but today, Mitch Seifert himself makes his appearance on the podcast. Welcome, Mitch. Thanks, Cody. It's good to be here. I'm always here, but now I'm really here. This it, it was so jarring to see you talk because normally you're in the background and and you don't say anything. You just kind of shake shake or or nod your head. You're usually shaking your head at me because I'm getting facts wrong or, or or referring to you in some way. So you just freaked me out when you spoke. I was for some reason I wasn't prepared for it. It's but, a little weird for me too. <laughs> This is going to take some restraint from me today because you and I work pretty closely together. Uh, I've had the pleasure of working with you for, hold on, I'm I'm going to get this myself, six and a half years. Just about, yeah. Just about, which is a real treat for me, but it also means we have a lot of marketing-specific references that we're going to try to, to clean up so that we, we don't lose people along the way. But uh, for those who don't know... Drop some knowledge on them. What do you do? What is I got your title wrong and to your face recently, um, and I, I approve your time cards. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm the director of video production here at Museum Center. Um, so not all, but most of the video content you see from us, uh, whether that's um, you know TV spots, internet commercials, um, stuff on our social media for new exhibits, uh, for stuff we have going on here at the Museum Center, events that we're promoting. I pretty much make all of that. I Your also... fingerprints are on all of it. Even if it comes from uh, an Omnimax film, fully baked, you, you're yeah. still you're still putting the... My uh, my asterisk there is some of our uh, our TikTok. I don't I don't make our TikTok. That, that's someone else. You don't exclusively make our TikTok. But so you, I do, I do make tribute. some of the videos that end up on TikTok. Yeah. Uh, I also manage our digital signage. That's what we call it. It's the screens you'll see throughout the building. So I make like the vertical versions that go on there. Um, sometimes I make graphics for that. Uh, some of those are made by our graphic designer, Jessica. So, um, But I'm the one managing it, so I schedule things on there, change things out, uh, make sure people know what's going on. And you edit the podcast. Uh, and I edit the podcast. Um, I guess you could say I produce the podcast. I, you know, I manage who's coming on. Uh, Cody just shows up. <laughs> it's true. I do. I do just walk in. Um, you know, sometimes on time, sometimes late. When everyone talks about like quote unquote talent being pains in the butt, that's that's me. And I don't. I'm not even talented, so I'm just a pain no, in the butt. No, Cody, you're you're good at this. So I'm I'm glad you're on the mic and not me. But pretty much since day one, I've told you that we're going to get you on the podcast and yeah, and trying to see when and how we can make it. It only took us like 16 episodes, right? <laughs> Well, I didn't want to lead with me, uh, but I'm, I wasn't like opposed to it, but I don't know. Most people don't like hearing their own voices. Uh, I make you listen to all of these before they go out, so you do have to listen to your own voice. But I'm going to have to be editing my own voice, which is maybe a little weirder. But I do that now and then because I, uh, I do voiceover for some of the videos we put out, uh, like the Brictionary spot, the TV spot. I, I voiced that. And uh, it was really weird because people would tell me, like, hey, I was watching the Bengals game the other day, and I heard you on TV, and I was just like, you know, like, I know that I'm the one doing it, but, like, to imagine that, like, all of the people watching the Bengals game are hearing my voice is, like, kind of weird. Everyone within the broadcast tower is hearing the silky notes of Mitch Seifert. 
I don't know about Silky, but you're no, you get you have a really you have a really good voiceover voice. It voiceover is not easy because it you listen to some and um you know, this is not anyone who owns a car dealership, don't don't come after us, but not everyone needs to be the face or the voice of their organization. There is a skill and there's a talent to it, and you're very good at it. Thank you. So you do have to listen to your own voice because you have to then go and edit those things. Yeah. What is the most challenging part of your role? Because you're you're shooting videos, um, you're directing them as well. You're you're kind of you're either lining people up to be in the video, um, you're storyboarding it, you're giving direction to people on camera, uh, you're you're setting up all the gear, all the equipment, and you're editing it, it all too. Yeah, um, hardest part. Hmm. You know, I guess it's just kind of the whole process. Um, scheduling people is always uh, can be a bit of a challenge. Um, but, you know, just seeing the whole thing through. Sometimes you get to the editing bay and you're like, I wish I had this. That's what always uh, freaks me out. So, um, you know, you just got to think ahead of time. Like, you know, you got to think with your editing brain while you're shooting. Think, this is what I'm going to want. Uh, and sometimes you have everything you want and say, I got it. And sometimes you're like, I wish I had this shot. Uh, in some cases, I can go back and get that. Um, other times, you just got to get creative. So we, we've talked about this before. That always makes me anxious for you that you're going to shoot something, and then whatever you have on your camera is what you have to work with. And we're also not costuming people, really. So if you if you do something with a curator and you, you come back and you're editing it and you really wish they would have said this or you really wish they would have done this, it you can't necessarily just say, hey, we're going to reshoot this. Do you remember what you you were wearing this shirt and you had your hair was this way, uh, but you you have clever and creative ways to to kind of work around that. So what do you do when you you know you kind of you have to stitch things together and you're trying to to sync up someone you know someone's facial expression and, and mouth movements and stuff to make that natural? What do you do? So uh, B roll is key. Um, you know, cutting away to something is the best way to hide a cut. Um, you can also change the focal length. You can do a quick zoom. Um, and you still have to be kind of close there, but that, you know, there's a lot of ways to cover a cut. Um, so I do plenty of that. Uh, there's also some tools, some like digital tools, uh, like, uh, Adobe Premiere is where I edit and they have a feature called morph cut that will try to morph, uh, you know, combine two takes. It rarely works. <laughs> uh, I always try it. It usually doesn't work. Now and then, it does. Uh, I actually got it to work really well in a Pompeii crating video we recently put out. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, it's just, a you know, there was a quick jump cut where I cut out like a couple words uh, where the person was, you know, looking for the right word. Uh, and it worked in that spot. It usually doesn't, but it, but it did. So Something that people may not appreciate about you, but they should, is how well-researched you are. You're always coming into meetings. You're always coming into situations with like this extensive knowledge of whatever topic we're talking about. Um, so we, we have a new exhibit coming in or we're a new film coming in and you just all, all of a sudden show up and you have all this information, all this knowledge about it. Are you just curious like a cat or do you say, listen, if we're going to live within this world for a certain period of time, I'm going to immerse myself in it and be an expert. Uh, I'm definitely curious. And that's a big part of it. Uh, you know, the other part of it is, I want the Museum Center to live up to its uh, its mission, its goals, being an educational institution. I want to make sure that anything we put out is as factual as it can be. You know, we need to be trusted as an institution. Uh, and I take that very seriously. 
when you have someone on camera and they're just kind of speaking from the hip and they're just they're just rolling, inevitably people are going to misspeak, which is fine in the moment because people kind of forgive that and say, oh, they said this, but they meant this. But when you are, you know, you're cutting that into a video, are you kind of fact checking what people are saying or are you just are you double checking or you just say this person knows their stuff? I'm just rolling with it. A lot of times I'm not necessarily attempting to fact check, but someone will say something and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And I'll do a quick Google and it might be slightly off. Uh, and since it is a video that we're putting out and I am editing it, sometimes I'll kind of have to cut around that, maybe cut out the part that wasn't quite accurate. Um, sometimes I can be creative with what they said to make them say the right thing. I never, when I'm editing, want to put words into someone's mouth, but if they got close and I can make it work, sometimes I'll do that. Uh, but like I said, I'm not trying to put words into someone's mouth. I'm not trying to change what they said. Sometimes, you know, you can make it a little more clear. I'm just imagining you, uh, like Photoshopping your mouth onto some, <laughs> like onto Brenda Honda's mouth as she's talking <laughs> to like if she fudges how many millions of years old something is no no i wouldn't i wouldn't do that that would be funny though um but no I, that would be something where i would you know cut away you'd use a, you know some b-roll uh some kind of image you can insert are you ever working with something so long that you just, you're like all right i have to walk away from this i've watched this over and over and over it doesn't even make sense anymore yeah a lot uh <laughs> Especially with longer interviews, uh, the the initial part of just picking out what I want to use is always the hardest part of that for me. Um, making something, you know, shorter, condensing it into only the essential elements is, to me, the hardest part of editing. What's your favorite part of the whole process, of the whole, I don't want to say filmmaking, but I mean, you are, you're making many films. What's your What's your favorite part of the process? Uh, I think the actual, you know, shooting is my favorite part. Uh, just being on site when things are happening, uh, like an uncrating, you can actually see this thing coming out of the box. And um, there's there's a, a thrill for me in knowing I got the shot. Sometimes you think you got the shot and you get back to the computer and you didn't quite get the shot. But when you got the shot, there's there's a thrill there to say, I nailed that. Are you sitting at your computer sometimes? You're like, oh, that's awesome. That's yeah, a good yeah. one there. Uh yeah, that happens. Uh, there's also that, ah, I was so close. <laughs> Sometimes you're like, Mitch, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do it the way you should have? Do you ever do you ever force a shot? Like, you have a really great shot, and it, but the, the way the editing goes, it's just like the story moves away from it, but you're like, I want to use this shot. I need to use this shot in some way. Do you ever force that? It happens, yeah. And sometimes a shot that's close, you know, when, when you're gathering footage, it's kind of like the raw material that's going to be in the final product. The, the thing is really put together in the editing. So sometimes if something's close, you can, you know, change the time, like the speed of the shot or the lighting and the color in post, or, you know, you can zoom in a little bit or make like a movement that makes it work where it didn't quite work raw from the camera. I don't want to go into your full highlight reel yet, but... Since we're talking about shots, is there does any stand out in your mind like your single favorite shot that you've shot here at the museum? Like just a is there a single frame that jumps out to you? So maybe recency bias, but one of my favorites has to be the shot of Union Terminal at sunset with the drone. All right, so the drone is the is kind of the kicker there because it seems like wait you've you've just only recently shot the sunset of Union Terminal, which you've shot before, but 
you shot it with a drone. I know the story, but share the story of capturing that shot because the way the building set, um, the sun rises in the front and sets behind the building, and it like once it dips behind the building, it just kind of lights up the surrounding. So you're outside. Walk us through that moment. Yeah, so we we had a request for a shot of the building at sunset, and you know I was looking at the weather, trying to find a nice clear day, and there was one coming up where I knew I could stay a little bit late. Uh, luckily, during the winter, the sunset you know it's a little earlier, closer to the time I'd normally leave. Uh, but I was out there, and I could tell that it was going to get you know amazing with the oranges and the pinks and all the colors, but it wasn't quite there yet. So I'm in the air, and I'm just waiting for it to happen, uh, and it's getting close. And then that's when my battery decides <laughs> that it's done. So I had to come down and put in the other battery. And then it was just taking a while for the drone to warm up and get ready to go back up. And that's when the sunset hit perfect. And I was like, oh, no. But I got up just in time, got it at just the right moment. Are you the type of person who has backup plans set? Are you are you always thinking, if this doesn't work, then I'm going to do this. And if that doesn't work, we're going to do this. Or are you like, I'm just going to figure it out? I'm not going to think about what happens if this doesn't work. I'm just going to make this work. That's a little bit of both. You know, you always try to make it work, but it's always good to have an idea of what you're going to do if it doesn't. I mean, with the sunset, like, that's something that happens at a certain moment. If you don't catch it, you're out of luck until the next one. So uh, I would probably would have just gone back out a different day. Have you shared the sunset shot publicly? Uh, it's in the uh, end of year video for 2023. All right, everyone jump on YouTube. Go to Cincinnati Museum Center's page. Check out the year-end video. It, do you save it for the end? or? Yep, it's the okay. final shot of the video. That's your reward for watching the video. But, you know, the the whole journey along the way and everything that went on in 2023 is pretty cool. But you get to, to wrap it up with a, uh, the sunset shot. Let's, let's go back in time. Let's talk about pre-Cincinnati Museum Center, Mitch. How do you end up here? What's your, what's your training? What, what led you to the museum? So I went to Bowling Green State University um, up north of the northern Ohio. I graduated with a major in telecommunications with a television production focus. And BGSU has their own PBS station, WBGU. Uh, students can work there. Uh, they do a lot of college sports on campus. They do some productions that you'd go off campus for. They've been producing a show called The American Woodshop for a very long time. I wasn't involved with that one personally, but that's one you can watch on PBS, I think, nationally. I worked on some studio shows like um, Brain Game and Northwest Ohio Journal, uh, a show called Scenic Stops, featured day trips for WBGU's viewing area. And it was just a really great way to get some experience while you're still in school uh, for this kind of thing. And when I graduated, I started at BCSN, which is a local cable sports network up in Toledo. I think they're Buckeye Broadband now. Uh, cable is Cable's out. Uh, <laughs> this is a new world. New world. Uh, but they also started an arts component shortly before I left there. But yeah, we were doing all kinds of local sports uh, production. We had like a truck that would go out to football games, basketball, baseball, wrestling, swimming, volleyball, pretty much anything you can think of. Uh, pickleball even. Really? Uh, they got into that a little bit before I left. Um, like high school? Like, high school, what, okay. college, um, some local leagues. Mostly high school, uh, and that was a that was a great time. Mud hens, right? Toledo mud hens. Were you... I never covered the mud hens. BCSN did sometimes cover the mud hens. Uh, I did a setup in their stadium, though, Fifth Third Field. That's pretty cool. Yeah. How does shooting live sports translate to 
like shooting at the museum, like how different is that or what skills are you pulling across both? So it is it is very different. Um, my positions at BCSN, I started as a production assistant. So you're just the person, you know, running cables, helping out, running stuff to people if they need it. How often do you wish you had a production assistant? Uh, it definitely come in handy. <laughs> I'm really, I'm sitting here realizing I've never helped you with that stuff. Well, I'm a lot of times, standing around. a lot of times people offer, but I'm like, eh, I know what I'm doing. I can, I can handle it. I don't have like that big of a setup. Uh, but I started as production assistant and then I moved up to camera. Uh, and you know, some of the camera principles is the same thing. You know, you get your zooms, your focus, your pull in, um, setting up a shot, framing it. A lot of that stuff translates. We would do stand up interviews now and then at the beginnings and ends of games. Um, I eventually moved to graphics I would do sometimes. Uh, that's where you're in the truck, you're managing the graphics computer, the director would call you to pull up a graphic and then send it over to the program. Um, that doesn't translate necessarily. Uh, so mostly the camera stuff and just, you know, the setup of working with this equipment um, is the real crossover. How are you anticipating shots for, for live sports? I mean, are you... Do you start to just anticipate the flow and like just know kind of what's going to happen or where something's going to happen? Yeah, you definitely do. Um, but typically they have, at least in our setups, it would often be three to four camera setups. Like a football game, we would have a camera in the middle that would kind of just get the field wide. And they would push in if you went to like one half or the other half. Then you'd have a camera on either end that was the tight shot. Uh, to get close-ups on the action, and you'd also have a shoulder-mounted camera on the field to get, really get in there. Um, so each camera kind of has their own job. They know what they're supposed to get, uh, and the director can also call for specific things. You know, your camera's number. It's like, camera one, get in on this. Uh, so there's a little bit of knowing what you're doing, knowing how the sport runs, and then just listening to what the director wants. Did you ever get caught in in a fake play? You know, like you'll watch. Oh, it happens. You'll <laughs> watch where a play fake is too good. Yeah, <laughs> camera yep, trails yep, off happens. to the person uh, without the ball. Luckily, we have multiple cameras for that. They would typically stick on the wide, except for replays, or the little bit of a wider shot, except for replays. Now and then, it happens. Um, those productions for us were occasionally live, but often live to tape, wherein it's produced as if it were live, so they don't need to edit it but they had some ability to edit if they needed to. So what even got you to that point? What made you interested in you know, studying video production? Uh, growing up, I was always interested uh, in movies and you know, making this kind of stuff. As a kid, some friends and I always said we were going to make these movies, and sometimes we would start, and we never finished any of them. Uh, I don't think any of us could really edit or anything like that, but we'd always have these ideas. And uh, if I'm honest, typically they were usually just, oh, we like this movie series. Let's make that. Uh, so not necessarily the most creative thing. But Did you, uh, Were you doing it with actual cameras or? Uh, just like, you know, a little camcorder, uh, nothing intense, no lighting or microphones or anything. Uh, so as low budget as low budget gets. See, I remember in school you'd have to make it make a video and so you always had to get your your parents mm -hmm. camcorder or something and most of them were pretty bad yeah <laughs> like people it's really hard to translate what you see in your head and then make that happen mm -hmm. have you just kind of always had that that skill set or like have you honed that and developed that it's definitely something you hone and develop um i like to think that i always had you know kind of an eye for visual media but it's something you have to develop. No one's going to be amazing at it right when they start. 
I remember we did one. Uh, I was helping my brother and his friend. So I have a twin brother, and so we would be we were in the same grade. We weren't always in the same classes, and we a lot of times we weren't. But uh, he had to make a video for a class, and I was helping him. And it was they were essentially making a music video for a Ren and Stimpy song. If anyone <laughs> remembers Ren and Stimpy uh, for the log song, and so they. In the song, they say uh, it rolls downstairs. And so they took this log and they tried to roll it down the stairs and it split in half and just landed on the flat side and just stopped. And you see, it's just a wide shot of these stairs. And you see my brother's friend run in and quickly just chuck it down the, the rest of the stairs. <laughs> I'm like, and you're like in middle school or high school, you don't know how to edit that out. And this is also the 90s. So we. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It was essentially like what you shot is what you had. Yep. Uh, there was a, a good project we did one time. We were supposed to do a book report in sixth grade, and some uh, classmates of mine picked uh, the novelization of Alien versus Predator <laughs> to do the book report on. And one of the options was to like make a movie of the book. So we made a movie of Alien versus Predator with like Halloween masks in a basement. Were you in it? Yes. Which uh, character were you? The guy's name is Wayland. He's like the he's like the rich guy who's leading this expedition. Yeah. I remember dying. He like we read the book, he like turned his oxygen tank into a flamethrower or something like that. But for us that was me throwing tennis balls at the predator <laughs> sure. or the alien, one of them. I don't know who he dies to. But uh No spoiler alerts, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, I was just throwing tennis balls. He dies, but you have to tune in to see how. <laughs> <laughs> well, no one's going to see this ever. I don't even know if it exists anymore. People don't realize that that you are, you're also a bit of an actor. I have been. We so we did a video, and we I'm just like signing my name on the group project, but we did a um a pair a music parody video, and when we shared it, first off, it's amazing. It's Serengeti swag. Look it up. It's a lot of fun. Uh, it was tons of fun to make. It was very entertaining. But when I shared it with people, everyone was so impressed and so amused by you on camera because you're that might have been the first time you've been in one of our videos. I think it's the first time I was in a video like that. Um, I guess technically this was after. I, I do show up in a video in um, Ancient World Hiding in Plain Sight. Do you? Yep. I have a cameo. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Go watch all the videos down there. I made all the videos for Ancient World Hiding in Plain Sight, at least the ones that we filmed. There's a few that, we, you know, of like a starfish flipping over that I didn't make myself. But I think we need to start to institute... Uh, where you're like Michael Bay, where you just work your way into every video. So even if it's with, you know, Bob Genheimer talking about archaeology, you're just for some reason in the background. <laughs> Bob, stand here. I'm just gonna go in the background real quick and rummage through some of these <laughs> shelves, just so you can get your your cameo. Build yeah, out that yeah, resume. Yep. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Serengeti swag was really the first time I showed up on camera, and I gotta say, if you really pay attention, I look pretty awkward. You. No, here's the thing. So we were all lip syncing. We had music playing out loud. So we knew what the words were because Joey wrote this and we didn't really know the words. We kind of heard it for the first time the night before. And this came together pretty quickly. And so we are all just lip syncing. But you were going for it. I was trying. Like, I'd not seen you on on camera, really. I, I've seen some of some of the videos you've made in college. 
but I'm not really seeing you on camera and you were going for it. And I was like, oh my God, if Mitch is going this hard, like I've got to go even harder <laughs> to keep up with it. And I did you dirty because I was running the camera at one point. Yeah. That's the first time we had you running the camera. Did any of those shots make it in? I don't think so. It was Some so of bad. them could have. You know, and when you're editing something, you always have more material than you can use. And sometimes you got to cut something you really liked. Uh, that was not the case with what I shot. Uh, no comment on that. But uh, <laughs> we, So you were standing there and I was, it, it was supposed to be a shot where you're spinning around. Yeah. And so I'm trying to follow you with the camera. Um, and you, it's like a joystick. You, you yep. can't just hold your hand straight and just keep up with you. You have to like control a camera as well. Mm-hmm. All I know is by the time I made a full 360, the camera was pointing straight up, not at you <laughs> at all. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, well, that's not usable. It can be, it can get a little tricky to control, but you get used to it. Do you enjoy being, being on camera? Like do you, are there times you're standing behind the camera and you're like, I gotta, I gotta get in there on this, or I would just let me do it. Uh, it's rare that I'm filming something and think I really want to be in this. I do have a bit of a history of being uh, on stage, yes, and a bit of a ham in that regard. Uh, but that was mostly in grade school. Or right, so, what are some of your most iconic grade school performances? Okay, so you could start being in the shows in fifth grade. I went to a K through eight. And uh, you could start being in the shows in fifth grade where I was Yussel the Hatter in Fiddler on the Roof, <laughs> Junior. Um, I had two lines, and then one person had a line that they didn't think they should have. They gave it to me. Not like that person was bad, just like they're like, why is this character saying that? So they gave me that line, and I was so excited. It was just in rehearsals. I, like, screamed the line. And they're like, great, maybe a little less. Tone it down a bit. Uh, <laughs> you came in so hot. It was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and I, like, shouted it. I was so pumped to get a third line. Uh, yeah, so sixth grade, Beads the Hippie. He likes to pass out beads. It was a show called Groovy, also known as Everything's Groovy. And he would just say, beads, pass them on. That's not the only line I had, but that was his catchphrase. Um, Were beads a metaphor for, for no, something? Okay. it's just a hippie thing. There was okay. uh, Beads was paired with flowers, who would also hand out flowers. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and then uh, seventh grade, I was in a show called Flapper, which was a 1920s set thing. And I was a character called the Duke of Milford, who was actually a con artist pretending to be a duke to scam someone out of money. Uh, Do you have a fake mustache? I think they had one drawn on. It wasn't like like a little a like real, pencil, pencil. Yeah, it was mustache. like a little pencil mustache. Uh, and that one, I had to do a whole song by myself. And uh, singing is not my forte. I like I liked being on stage. I liked acting. Singing, not so much. And uh, I had to do this whole song. And this I wanted so to just sing it, uh, but they were like. No, you got to do the accent because I'd been doing when I was the Duke. I'd been doing a, like an English accent, and then when uh, the person I was scamming wasn't there, I would revert to like this like New York accent. I'm not saying it was a good one, but they asked me to sing that way, and I was like, "Oh my God, that's just an extra layer of awful." <laughs> so you're telling me this whole time when we did we shot all these unaired Safari Jack videos, and I'm struggling with an Australian accent. You have a history of accents. I feel like I used to be better at it than I am now. I'm not going to try to do it here. Uh, but I do have some history of accents. Uh, but, I'd, you know, like they were trying to get me to sing in this New York accent. I can't sing in my own accent. So, you know, an extra layer there. Um, but I had to do this whole song and dance. So um, that was fun. 
Uh, I'm almost done with my 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 acting history here. My next no, just keep going. <laughs> in eighth grade, I was uh, Ichabod Crane in The Legend yes. of Sleepy Hollow, and uh, I I really leaned into the idea of Ichabod Crane as a bit of a weenie. Um, I had this really goofy voice I was doing and everything. And again, they made me sing that way, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is unfair because. Bing Crosby was Ichabod Crane in like the 1950s Disney version. So yeah. in the in the story tradition of crooners, here comes Mitch. <laughs> here comes Mitch. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was that was a good time. Uh, I got to high school and I got the audition packet. It was like an application. You had to like submit this application before you could even audition. And like on the front page, it's like, what is your vocal range? I was like, nope, <laughs> I'm done. There goes that. Question one. <laughs> well, there goes that dream. <laughs> You're like, all right, behind the camera. Uh, yeah, so I, I did end up uh, in the stage crew all through high school. After freshman year, I had some friends who were involved and uh, joined in on that. So, um, you know, that's not exactly the same thing as what I'm doing now, but it's part of the production process. So that's behind amazing. the scenes. It's amazing. There was, a, there was a real period there in the office where every week or two, Mitch would just drop this little nugget like yeah actually i was in a i was in a play as this character and we're like what <laughs> because we're all like oh yeah mitch is always he's always behind the camera sure and no he's he's a a, a triple threat no a quadruple threat because <laughs> acting singing dancing i wouldn't directing. say dancing okay so like on the hierarchy like acting Eh, I'm okay. Singing, no. Dancing, not at all. <laughs> not a chance. Uh, well, I, I'm really bad at choreography because for the music video, I kind of had... I realized that morning, I was so excited for it, but I realized that morning we had no plan. I, I Or at least I didn't know. I had some. I had was. some things in mind. I was, you know, kind of just thinking of, you know, as you do before you do a shoot like this, you kind of think of what kind of shots you're looking for. I was thinking of like various different music videos. We were really leaning into the 80s element of it. So I had some ideas of what I wanted to do, some shots I wanted to get. Um, but I guess no one else knew what I wanted to get until I told them. So, <laughs> Well, I was I was so thankful because I walked in and I was, I'd been thinking in the, like all morning, okay, well, in this part, we could kind of do this and this and this. And we, we all kind of met up and was sort of like, does anyone have a plan for this? And you're like, I've got some ideas like, oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> That's the job. And thinking back on it now, I think the only part, now I don't even know if it made it in. I wanted to make it rain tickets. I think that's the you, only part that made can, it you in. You did. It made it in. Okay, uh, cool. Th it didn't rain as well as we would have liked, but, but but it's in there. It's because we missed the rains in Africa. So That's right. <laughs> All right. What's been one of your most proud videos that you've done here? What one of your most proud projects? I think Serengeti Swag definitely had some of the most loud reactions to it. Um, I am very proud of the fact that I've got a bunch of videos in Ancient Worlds Hiding in Plain Sight. That's really cool to just be part of the exhibit. I do work on videos that end up in the exhibits here and there, uh, but that was the first time that I really developed them as part of the exhibit development process to that extent and just did that much for it. Some of the other stuff has been, and not to take anything away from it, sort of ancillary to it. It's yeah. not part, but these are like integral to the exhibit. The 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 exhibit it's it was designed with these videos in it. 
Yeah. So you were fully baked into the exhibit design, really? Yeah. Um, I mean, not the earlier stages, but like once they knew that they wanted videos in it and they had an idea of what they wanted those videos to be, from that point, I was in it. And we went to a lot of sites in the tri-state area where fossils can be found. I talked to, you know, professors and amateur diggers and the president of the Cincinnati Dry Dredgers. And, you know, just getting to experience that, uh, poke around for a few fossils myself. I didn't find anything amazing, but I found I found a few neat things. You found some stuff. You would come back. You'd be like, Yeah, I found some. Uh, they called them trilobits. It's little pieces of trilobite shell. And what is really cool about the ones that I found is that they came right out of the rock. And it's like you just picked it up off the ground after the thing died. And you can still feel the texture of it. It's just like perfectly preserved. That's so crazy. It really is amazing. I mean, some of these are 450 million years old. Mm-hmm. That's nuts to hold that in your hand. It really is. And it, I'm all I'm all over the place. But this does bring up an important point that you're not shooting from a studio or anything like that. You, you're all over the place on the museum floor, but also outside of the museum. So you've you've been in creek beds. You've been on the side of roadways, um, you know, county highways and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You've been in the wilderness at the edge of Appalachia. Right. Yeah, yep. Uh, that one we went. Uh, I brought my my hiking boots, but I wasn't prepared for just how off trail we were gonna get, so I hadn't put them on, and we went totally off trail. <laughs> uh, very muddy, but it was a good time. Do you enjoy like being in the field? Uh, like, do you, and even within the museum, there's sort of in the field moments. So, um, you know, if you're going into the paleo lab and you know, they're working on something where you're kind of catching something organic. But do you prefer to kind of do that kind of guerrilla style where you're in the field, where you're kind of in the elements or something where it's more polishing of everything kind of scripted or staged? There's things I like about both, but I definitely do like being in the field. Um, one of the things I like about my job is that I get to see a lot of things and go a lot of places. Um, so going somewhere new and shooting uh, something maybe that I've never seen before uh, that's always a lot of fun. It, you know, it's an extra challenge because in a situation where, like, if you're going out to the edge, like, if you didn't bring it with you, you don't have it. Yeah. Um, and you got to get it while you're there because it's not easy to go back. Um, so, you know, there's a little bit of added pressure there, but I think that is part of what makes it fun. And you're almost learning more than than who you're talking to. Because I'll tell you, anytime I'm doing um, an interview for anything, I kind of black out. And I, I'm just... Like I, I don't remember saying certain things. I don't remember saying certain things on the podcast. And sometimes I, I re-listen to them. And I was like, oh, I forgot I learned that. But you're probably one of the most um, well-versed people in the museum because you're talking to, to all these people in depth. I do. I do learn a lot uh, in what I do. And part of that is like when you're filming, you're p- kind of paying attention for potential edits, like things that stand out to you or things that you know you're going to have to cut later. Uh, but you don't always necessarily hear every word because you're also paying attention to the, you know, the screens and making sure that the audio levels are right and all these different things. And, you know, as a one man band, as someone who does it all himself, like I, there's a lot for me to pay attention to. So, right. uh, but where you really hear it is when you got to go to the editing, uh, you know, you're on your computer and you're hearing it again and again. <laughs> so I, uh, I absorb a lot that way. You mentioned hearing it again and again. One of the one of the times I feel most guilty is when I've made you shoot something that's so ridiculous, 
And then I know that you have to go listen to every single take and every single version of that multiple times to figure out what to use. Um, and I I know that that's got to be painful sometimes. <laughs> What's It can be, but most of the time it's not bad. What's been the so we talked a little bit about uh, your proudest videos. What about some of the what's like the weirdest thing you've had to shoot here? So I'm not sure that anything gets too weird. Um, we've shot some things here and there that we had ended up not using uh, that are always kind of fun. There's a little, uh, there's a little bit of a, a graveyard. There's there there's a little bit. You if know, everyone emails meanwhile at the museum release the cipher cut. We'll see what what videos Mitch digs up from the archives. Uh, you know, there's there's when you're doing things that are creative, when you're making things like this, sometimes things don't work out. You you always do your best to make them work. Sometimes it ends up just not being the right thing. And uh, we've made a few things. Um, I think the go-to example is uh, we had an exhibit called uh, Guitar, the <laughs> instrument that rocked the world, uh, back in 2018, and yeah. um, we filmed an announcement video for that. Uh, featuring Cody and Evan, uh, and they were doing a take on Wayne's World. And uh, I worked really hard to make it look like Wayne's World. <laughs> we had, like, costumes, and uh, I couldn't find a background I liked, so I did it all with green screen and, like, created this whole backdrop. And I, like, made this intro animation to, like, match as closely as I could Wayne's World. And uh, it ended up not really being the right thing for the exhibit. You know, that wasn't what we wanted to say about the exhibit uh, and the what, announcement. What you're sanitizing right now is <laughs> really what happened was Elizabeth said, I don't get why, I don't get why we're doing this. I'm like, all right, fine. We won't use it. Uh, yeah. So, you know, those things happen uh, where you think it's a good idea. You put a lot of effort into it and ultimately it just doesn't pan out. That's... Uh, but it's, it's a lot of fun to go back and watch that one and see, you know, what went right and maybe how I could do it better now. Cause that was fairly early in my career here. That was within that first year. Mm -hmm. it, it was, um, which jumping back to, to when you started, you started in the middle of the restoration. I did. So union terminal is a construction site and I mean, your first projects were jumping in and doing these construction videos uh, yeah. because we did monthly construction updates. So mm -hmm. every month we were walking the entire project site saying, all right, what are we working on this month? What are some interesting things to see? And you would shoot it all and then edit that all. And we, you know, pumping those videos out monthly. Yeah. That's another thing that I really like about my job is I get to go places and see things that even other people who work here don't get to do. Like I had access at the construction site, like very few people did. I could like kind of go wherever I wanted in there and film whatever I wanted. Not to a point where I'm like, you know, interrupting work, but uh, yeah, I could go places that most people couldn't. And um, one of my favorites was uh, uh, down in what we call the avenue, the lower level, um, near the bathrooms there by the Natural History Museum, there was what we called the Harry Potter wall. It was this, kind of this room that was all brick with some weird steel beams and they wanted to cut out this part of a steel beam that went diagonally and like brace it in a different way so it could be a doorway and they had to cut out this existing steel beam uh, and that was really neat they had like these you know torches and saws or whatever and just went at it and sparks were flying everywhere and I got like right in there and that was really cool and classic me I was, I was there too but I wasn't doing, <laughs> I wasn't doing anything 
thinking back, I'm like, there was no point for me to be there. Uh, but I have these photos of you shooting it, and it's very cool because there are sparks everywhere. And I remember looking at them once. I was like, I paid no attention to how close Mitch was to the danger. <laughs> Just so close to the sparks. Uh, it, everything was everything was fine. Everything was safe. But the, the photos may really do highlight the fact that... All right, Mitch, just go in and, and get as close as comfortably possible, as safely as possible to capture this. I remember that vividly. You mentioned having access to things that a lot of people don't. And it's interesting because a lot of times you'll see on TV or you'll kind of see this perception like media gets blocked from certain things. Oh, we don't want to show you this or you can't go back here. Whereas you can kind of walk around the museum with a camera and people let you into places. Yeah. Like, oh, hey, do you want to, do you want to shoot this? Or... Oh yeah, I just need to to go into this uh, unauthorized space to <laughs> yeah. I to mean, get something real quick. Now and then there will be something that they say we'd rather you don't film this. Um, you know, that's just kind of the way it is. But uh, the camera is like an all access pass. Is there a space in Union Terminal um, or in our Geyer Center that you've not gotten to to shoot at that you want to? I think I've seen most of the the spaces that people don't get to go into, like uh, the clock room. I was up there for the restoration. Yeah. Um, the high steel, I've been up there. That's the uh, area above the rotunda that shows all the steel structure that's holding the building up. I've been in Tower A. Uh, there's a there's all kinds of spaces in this building, though. Like I'm sure there's some I don't even know about. Like when we went up to get to the clock room, there's just all these like spaces that are just like not really anything there, but like. You know, like some old air handling units and stuff like that from the 30s that I don't think are really used anymore, but they're still there. Yeah, and you just wonder, when's the last time someone was in here? Yeah. And which is which is so cool. Is there a video idea that you've had that you've just not been able to make happen or it, it just hasn't materialized yet? Like, is there a missed opportunity or is there that that white whale that you keep chasing? Oh, there's there's plenty of ideas that we've got. Um, some of them you might still see. Uh, we're working on some ideas for a couple, you know, short series that could come out now and then, uh, highlighting things in the museum, some behind-the-scenes stuff that we've been talking about doing for a while. But as a one-man band, sometimes you get started on something and some bigger priorities come up, and then you got to drop what you're doing and switch to that. We kind of glossed right over this. Why are you working in a museum? Did you imagine yourself working in a place like this? Are, are these the types of videos you wanted to you wanted to make, or like how do you how do you end up here? So, I feel like, and this is something I was telling you during our initial interview. Um, this is kind of like the perfect marriage between the video side of things and the museum side of things because I was always interested in museums. Um, you know, when I visit a museum, I like read every panel. I love history, um, natural history. When I was a kid, like the first thing I wanted to do was be a paleontologist. Like I loved dinosaurs as a kid. So getting into work in a building with dinosaurs, like making videos about dinosaurs, uh, has been a real dream come true. You know, you want to be a paleontologist when you're a child, and then you get a little older and you're like, eh, that's probably not what's gonna where I'm going to go. But then to end up taking a left turn and suddenly you are watching a dinosaur be constructed, like you're watching the bones be put together— that's been really amazing. It really is true. What they say in Step Brothers, find your dinosaur. <laughs> right? I found my dinosaur. You found your dinosaur. We're happy Literally, in this case. <laughs> Do you have a single day 
here that you're like, that was one of the best days at work. That was, you know, you kind of, you think back on it or you, or you kind of chase that. Um, I'm going to have to say uh, when we put the Gallium Opus in Rheingeist, uh, yeah. that was a really cool experience. That was the first time I'd seen a dinosaur be put together, like right in front of my eyes. Uh, and we got to go to a cool location to do it down in Rheingeist Tap Room. Um, so that was really amazing. It was the first time the Gallium Opus had been fully assembled. Um, I, they probably put it together in the mounting, the RCI, put yeah, it together yeah. in Toronto, I think mm-hmm. is where they, they're out of. Uh, but it was the first time that anyone from the museum had seen this mounted dinosaur specimen be put together uh, that our uh, paleontologist Glenn had been working with for like, 18 years. Uh, so that was really special. That was, yeah, that's wild. You're going out to shoot stuff and, hey, we're doing we're doing this tomorrow or, you know, we have this coming up. Can you come shoot it? Are you just walking in? Like you get such short notice, and you just have to figure out what that shoot's going to look like, or you're walking into a situation having no idea, like what the setup's going to look like, what the process is going to look like. How are you? How do you manage that? <laughs> you just got to be flexible, um, you know. And like like you said, in some places you really don't know what it's going to look like. Uh, you can kind of think about what kind of shots you want. You can kind of think of what the story that you're going to be telling is, so you know what kind of shots to look for or, you know, like specific things that people might be doing that you're looking for. Um, but you kind of just got to be as prepared as you can with what limited information you do have. Uh, make it work. All directors kind of have this this one look or this one shot that they always include. Uh, like, we should count the number of times Michael Bay comes up on this podcast. <laughs> I don't, people are going to be like, all right, we get it. We get your movie taste, Cody. Chill out. But he always in his movies has this like rotating shot of the main the main character or the hero getting out of a car or something. Is there a particular Mitch shot? Is there like have you discovered that for yourself or I'm not sure that I have. Uh you will notice in a lot of videos I make, especially about like exhibits that we have coming in. Um, kind of like the rotating shot um, that I use the gimbal for. Uh, just that little bit of motion gives it kind of like an extra level of polish. It feels higher level than a static shot. So I try to put some motion in there where I can, whether that's a pan or a little bit of a zoom or, like I just said, I like the the rotating panning shot with the gimbal. Do you have a particular director that you look up to or do you just enjoy movies and you're you it's more just about the finished product than nitpicking individual techniques or styles and things like that. But I really do just like to watch all kinds of movies, um, you know, like big dumb blockbusters or really art house stuff. Um, so I, I try to just be an open viewer of all kinds of different film. And do you call them movies or films? I, I, don't, get that pick, I don't get that picky okay. about it. I don't think there's a difference. Some people are like, oh, this one's a film, not a movie. But like, I don't know. That's getting a little... Is it kind of like a the book novel? Yeah, film versus movie. I don't really care. But uh, yeah, I like I like watching all kinds of things. What advice do you have for someone who who wants to make videos, who wants to make films, who wants to be behind the camera as they're getting started? What what advice do you have for them? My advice is to just do it. Obviously, there's a lot of different production equipment that is very expensive, but you can start with just a cell phone. You know, maybe you're not going to produce some really high quality stuff, but you're learning the basics as you do this. Um, you're learning framing, you're learning lighting. Um, even if you don't have additional lights, you can, you know, 
do something outside versus inside, open a window, close the blinds. There's a lot you can do with very little. And there's like free editing software online. Um, DaVinci Resolve is free. So there's a lot you can do just on your own. And you're learning the basics as you do that. And you're starting to develop the kinds of shots you like to get, the kinds of things you want to make. Um, and then, you know, you can take it to the next level by going to school for it, film school, or just getting involved wherever you can. There's various groups around that do like little filmmaking competitions and things like that. So just try to get involved wherever you can. How about the the flip side for someone who's nervous about being on camera? Because there's a lot of times we, you know, you have expertise in this or this is your program. This is your thing. We need you to talk about it. And people are, are so nervous. How do you... How do you prep someone to be on camera or, or what advice do you have to kind of put them at ease or put them in the right frame of mind? So luckily for me, everything that I do is recorded and edited. It's never live. So I can always tell people like, you don't need to worry. If something goes wrong, we can do it again. We can edit it. I'll make it work. That can be a bit of a double-edged sword because sometimes when people know that they have the option to start over or do it again, they like get in their head and say, hold on, let's redo it. Yeah. But I think it makes people feel a little more at ease to know that if they mess up, it's going to be okay and we'll make it work. And I always do my best to make sure, you know, I'm protecting the people that I'm filming or even people on the podcast. The podcast is edited, not really so much for content as, you know, if there's significant pauses, if there's lots of ums, starts and stops. I just try to make it sound natural, but cleaned up. And I think that helps people feel a little bit more at ease that if they do make a mistake, it's not the end of the world. It's going to be okay. We're going to fix it. I ask everyone the same question, but before I ask you that, I'm going to ask the burning question that everyone wants to know. Do you have red hair? No. <laughs> Look, we're this is a, not a visual medium, so no one can know for sure just by hearing this. Uh, no, I don't. And, you, I, I and don't, you've kept I don't yourself behind the camera. So I, don't, <laughs> I personally don't don't get it. Like, I think there's maybe a little bit of a reddish tint, but like, no one's going to say I'm a redhead. No one's. Gonna, I, no one's gonna. I don't, no one would I just, say that. Well, some people clearly do, but I. I don't get it. I really don't get it. <laughs> That's one of my most embarrassing earliest <laughs> memories uh, with Mitch. <laughs> do you remember it? Oh, I, I remember it well. Uh, I was talking to you about something, whatever, in your office, and uh, I was like getting ready to leave, and you're like, "Hey, can I call you Big Red?" And I was like. I don't know why you would, but okay. Uh, <laughs> it was it was such a good response because it was it was. <laughs> I was totally confused. I didn't get it. It was uh, it was like was such a gentle and polite. No, <laughs> idiot! I don't have red hair. Your eyes don't work. But I it didn't is... know you were talking about my hair at first. I'm just like, <laughs> why would I be big red? <laughs> there, there's some debate on on the marketing team, but. You, all right, we're, we're not going to settle here. If you could trade roles for one day with anyone in the museum, who would you trade roles with? Uh, I'm going to have to go with Glenn. Like I said, uh, paleontology was the first thing I wanted to do as a kid, um, just to get in there and touch things, to go on a dig uh, and you know pull dinosaur bones out of the ground. As a kid, did you go into your to your backyard? Were you digging around? And Oh, yeah. I mean, I was looking around the rocks and stuff. I'm from uh, northern Ohio, so we don't have quite the wealth of fossils up there that we do down here in Cincinnati, but there's still some of the same kinds of fossils. Last thing that that I want to ask, and I, I want, since you've seen so much in the museum, you've talked with so many people, what is, what's a hidden gem at the, at the museum center that people 
people may not realize. Like they they may say, oh, I love the dinosaurs. I love the cave and I love walking on the public landing. But what's something about this building or about this experience or about the people who work here that if people knew they would get an even deeper experience? That's that's a very big question, Cody. Uh, How many episodes have we done? And this is the first I've asked it. So you're the <laughs> guinea pig. Uh, I think we're on like 14, 15 episodes. Um they don't always air in the order that they've been recorded. So if everyone's been listening like they should be, you'll already know. <laughs> there, but they, yeah, that, that's a that's a big question. Um, I can't say enough good things about the people who work here, about how passionate they are, about how knowledgeable they are. Um, everybody's doing everything they can to bring uh, our guests the best experience possible. Um, I think one thing that's kind of easy to miss, uh, not the thing itself necessarily, but the story is the moon rock. Obviously, the moon rock itself is, it's got a pretty central position in the space gallery. Uh, so I don't think people are missing the rock itself. I think some people might miss the story of the moon rock. You know, that this rock is from the Apollo 11 mission, the very first time humans were ever on the moon, that Neil Armstrong was on the board of the Natural History Museum in the 1980s, and that NASA then offered him a chance to give a moon rock from the Apollo 11 mission to an institution of his choosing, and he chose Museum Center. You know, it's just incredible to me to have that connection to this moment, this indelible moment in human history is really special, I think. And I hope that everyone who comes through uh, understands just how cool that moon rock is. One of the very first moon rocks ever touched by a human being. Mm-hmm. It, it not just returned and brought back, but touched, seen in person. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. That's a good one. That's a real good one. Well, Mitch, thank you for thank you for joining us on mic this time. You're here you're here all the time. You've not yeah. you've not missed an episode yet. But nope. thank you for joining us. And thank you to everyone for listening to Meanwhile at the Museum. Remember, if you liked what you heard, please rate and subscribe. More importantly, come see for yourself. Visit sensimuseum.org to see the latest reasons to visit. If you have any questions, comments, or just want to tell us how much you love the show, send us an email at meanwhile at sensimuseum.org. Thanks for listening. Ooh.